make sure you're getting professional pitchers. You just spent twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars or more on this beautiful rehab, and then you're gonna go take crappy pictures with your iPhone. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best flipping series ever presented by our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. This is the last episode. There's a tear coming down my cheek because this is the last time we're going to have this group together in this series. Hopefully we'll talk to them later, but we have with us some amazing experts in house flipping. And if you haven't been keeping track of what we've been talking about, you need to go back and listen to the first episode, which is how to find the best ever flip that aired on March the 8th. And then on March 15th, we talked all about how to fund the best ever flip. Then last Sunday, March 22nd, was how to fix the best ever flip. And now that you've gotten this point and it's all fixed up, pretty and ready to go, we got to sell the darn thing and make money, which is why we're doing this in the first place, that and it's completely fulfilling, right? So with that being said, before we get into the guest introductions and the best ever panelists, first, a quick word from our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. My mom always said it's rude to keep people waiting. Well, best ever listeners, that's exactly what you're doing if you're not funding your deals with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that matches up your deals with accredited and institutional investors who want to invest in your deal. Patch of Land literally has thousands of investors ready to fund your next deal. You don't want to keep them waiting, do you? And guess what? It's a lightning quick process too. In fact, the average patch of land loan closes in just seven days. Is a five to seven day close faster than how long it currently takes you to close on financing? And just think, wouldn't it be wonderful to have all of your financing needs taken care of for all of your deals? How many more deals could you close if you already knew where the money was coming from? With Patch of Land, you no longer have to worry about the financing part. They've got it taken care of for you. Go to Patch of Land and find out how to get your next deal funded by the thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Go to patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com. All right, let's get right into it. And we'll start with Nasser El Arabi from Real Estate Duru. Nasser, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background in the flipping process? Yes. Um, basically, I've been flipping houses since uh, 2007 and I've uh, been living in Charlotte the past seven years. Um, I have a uh, uh, corporate uh, background and uh, got fired in September 2012. These days, I buy. Uh, I find, fix, and flip uh, real estate, also do some wholesaling, and um, it's been working well for me lately. Next up, we have Justin Williams from House Flipping HQ, and he is also a very good singer we just learned uh, right before we started airing, so perhaps he'll sing his intro. <laughs> right now? Well, I mean, sure, yeah. Okay. I've been flipping houses for eight years. <laughs> Sorry, I got to practice, man. You threw me off cue. I- <laughs> <laughs> I've been flipping for eight years, flipped over around 450 houses, currently flipping about 100 houses a year, all with systems, streamlined. Um, 
yeah, housefuckinghq.com is my website and podcast. And yeah, I do some coaching and stuff now, and that's been a lot of fun. So, and singing, working on singing. Mike Hambright from Flip Nerd. Yeah, um, Mike Hambright back for back for part four here um, from flipnerd.com. Have a, a real estate a podcast where we've done actually almost two hundred shows in the past uh, fifteen months. So I've been cranking out a lot of content with a lot of great guests and. Um, from a real estate perspective, though, we bought uh, a little over 300 houses, I guess, in the past uh, five or six years, and uh, it predominantly focused on rehabbing or kind of the fix and flip uh, model, keeping some rentals and a little bit of wholesaling for the stuff that primarily we don't want to rehab or keep as a rental. So um, happy to be back for part four here. And Doug Cochran from our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Hey, Joe. Happy to be back. Uh, yes, my name is Doug Cochran. I am the Senior Vice President of Acquisitions and Underwriting for Patch of Land, a debt-based real estate crowdfunding company. Uh, my background uh, is in a bunch of different areas of real estate. I started off as a flipper in the Boston area. Uh, I was also a uh, loan officer for many years with a couple different mortgage companies uh, in the New England area. I was an underwriter and also a uh, project manager for a construction company in the Boston area. And uh, just uh, under a year ago, joined Patch of Land. So the question that I'd like to pose to you gentlemen is, what are some best ever ways to maximize the value of the property and make sure that it actually sells. So, you know, I, whenever I think of flipping, you know, and I haven't personally done flips, that's why, you know, we we have you wonderful panelists on here. But whenever I think of flips, I think, okay, the most important thing is that we fix it according to whatever the market dictates, but not too much so that we're kind of over beautifying it. That's clearly not a word, but I'm using it. And and then we sell it for its maximum value, but then we walk that fine line of not pricing it too high so that it doesn't sit on the market because you know the, the key is to just continually churn the money. And I might be completely off in everything I just said because, again, I'm not an expert in this category. So that's the question. How do you maximize the value whenever you actually flip, and how do you make sure that you have a buyer? So I guess it's a two-part question. I'm cheating a little bit. So let let's start with um, let's start with Mike. Mike, can you answer that? Yeah, I, I'd say a couple things. Um, you know, after you get in, after you've done, you know, I don't know how many deals, but after you've done some deals, you start to f- try to find ways to squeeze a little bit of money out of different areas. It could be getting your financing costs down. It could be uh, reducing your sales. Um, your sales expense by using, you know, a uh, uh, flat fee listing agent. It could be by potentially negotiating property taxes if you're in a high cost property tax area. Um, there's a number of different little things that people do uh, that just to kind of uh, throw that out there. But I'd say one of the one of the things that um, has become more prevalent for me over the past, you know, 18 to 24 months, I'd say. So I'm in Dallas. It's been um, a really, it's never been a bad market. I mean, we had a little bit of a downturn, but nothing like a lot of other markets around the country. And there's just this huge influx of population here. So, uh, but a lot of markets can relate to this. Is the realization for the first few years I was in this business, every rehab we did, we kind of over rehabbed it. Like we took it, you know, what I'll kind of call it was like a, we knocked it out is kind of the phrase we usually use with 
uh, kind of a, a full-on rehab that also gave me a lot of pride. I like to kind of walk away and say, wow, this is a great house um, and be happy with it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you need to maximize profit. And, and I'm not saying to cut corners per se, but uh, what's happened over the past couple of years is this realization for me that it's very possible to do less work and make the same amount of money or more. And, and let me kind of um, uh, clarify what I mean by that. So I'll give you a scenario. This is just a hypothetical scenario of a $100,000 uh, ARV house. So it's very possible um, that you could you know, put, let's just say the house needed $25,000 in repairs and you sell it for 100 and you make X, whatever X is. Well, it's also very possible that instead of putting in 25000 you put in 5000 and you sell it for eighty, and you effectively net the same. And the reason I used a hundred thousand dollar house is one to make the example simple, but two to create to kind of at that price point depends on the market you're in. But you're kind of at the um, I'd say below the median price point in your market in a neighborhood that's like working class where people appreciate sweat equity. So these are the neighborhoods where people are mowing their own lawns, changing their own oil, maybe cutting their own hair, who knows. But where people kind of avow, they kind of appreciate that I am buying a house below market and I'm going to earn some kind of sweat equity um, by doing some of the work myself. So any of these guys on this call will tell you that when you do a rehab, you know, pretty easily, probably 60% of the cost of a typical rehab, maybe a little bit more, is labor. And if you can find those people that don't value the cost of their time um, and they're just looking at the materials cost and they're looking at it as, yeah, it needs a little bit of work, but I'm going to do you know, a weekend project every other weekend for the next year and a half and it'll be exactly the way we want it. Um, so you know, therefore, we're kind of passing on uh, a deal for somebody that's not selling it to an investor. It's an owner-occupant, but they still appreciate that there's a deal there. And they're willing to pay you a little, certainly more than a traditional investor will. You probably avoid issues with like appraisals and stuff like that because appraisers don't typically, you know, um, reduce the appraisal all that much for cosmetic type work. If you know these houses can't need uh, generally structural work or roof or electrical or anything, any of the major kind of systems. But um, that, I think that that was a big eye opener for me over the last few years. We've actually been doing less work on houses, again, that kind of fit that first-time home buyer or a little bit under that range, which tends to be, as an investor, the the most kind of prevalent deals that we come across are kind of houses that are a little bit below the median price point in our market. So That is a huge eye-opener for me, too, just from the outside looking in. What a fantastic insight. I saved that one for you, Joe. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Eyes wide open right now, my friend. I do have a follow-up question. You you mentioned don't over-rehab it, and then you gave that really fantastic example. What specific source do you use to determine what price you should use to what defines over-rehab? How do you know exactly what an over-rehab is, what that number is? Well, if you look at, uh, it's important to always look at the comps. So recent solds and even, you know, current actives to see, um, what the houses have. So in the past, our mentality was more of, you know, if it was a, if it was a lower price point house, we may put granite in it, even though nobody else had granite. And yes, we would sell it, you know, opening day on the MLS and give each other high fives and stuff like that. But, um, 
you know, the question is over time you start to think of, am I, is that how I, am I maximizing my profit by doing that? Did I need to do that? And sometimes we, like I said, we give each other high fives and we have these quick wins that make us feel happy and, you know, you make money on it and you should be happy. But every once in a while you got to question it. Is that the most profitable way always 100% of the time for me to uh, turn product out? And I think it, at this point, after years of doing it, I kind of, I don't think that it is. I think that there's um, different levels that you need. There's different strategies for different neighborhoods. Nasser? I can't outdo Mike. All right. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, he pretty much summed it up. But what I was going to say, I was going to say, man, just to your listeners, just be careful with trying to overvalue a property. I mean, go by the numbers. I mean, Mike had named the best ways uh, to actually, you know, save money, which is, uh, I mean, as far as getting the taxes reduced, um, doing the commissions, do it that way instead of just doing too much. Because I've been in a position where I did too much and I end up uh, losing. So you don't want to get into that process. So if you're really looking, you know, to overvalue a property, to save money, I would I would go for things like um, what he said was, you know, do a flat fee listing. Uh, that three percent um, can save you a few thousand, or you know, get taxes reduced. And always, you know, don't outdo the comps. Justin. So great stuff so far. Um, and I love that we're talking about maximizing your profit when you sell because most people just think of the profit being made when you buy and not going over on the rehab. But uh, we have probably, I don't know if I'll say made or saved at least a quarter of a million dollars in the past 12 months just by making sure we're maximizing the profit on the resale. Let me give a couple of quick small things. First off, make sure you're getting professional pitchers. A lot of people feel like they're losing money by spending $150 to get beautiful professional pitchers. Take them. It's like, dude, you just spent $20,000, $25,000 or more on this beautiful rehab, and then you're going to go take crappy pictures with your iPhone, right? I mean, even though they might look okay because iPhone's looking better, like still, it's not nearly as good as a professional pitcher uh, photographer would do. So online is huge. you got to make sure it looks good. Have a full detailed description in your listing. All the houses that sell for the most price have the biggest descriptions. It's almost overkill, like walk into your beautiful home and you know, give a full description. So that's for the listing. Then you need to make sure that you know the best offer to take. A lot of people just think they should take the highest offer or maybe they just want to take the cash offer. But if I have an FHA offer and I think the home's going to appraise for 150 and I have an offer from an FHA person at 170 and then I have a conventional offer right at 145 and a cash offer at 140 and I got to get two appraisals on the FHA offer and I don't think it's going to appraise anyway, then I'm better off taking one of those other offers. However, if I have an FHA offer at 150, I think it'll appraise for 150 and I got a cash offer at 100 and I have a conventional offer at 120, I'm probably going to take the um, FHA offer. However, I'm probably going to try to get all the other ones up. I'm going to use those in negotiation. Try to get the conventional. Try to get the cash ups. Hey, we got another offer for 150. What can you do? And use that as a negotiation. So that's uh, one thing. And the last thing is appraisals. You've got to show up to your appraisals. Um, we used to get a lot of haircuts from appraisals until we started showing up and just kind of letting them know, hey, here are the comps. Is what we think. These are all the improvements we did. 
a lot of times you get appraisers who aren't from the area. They don't realize, you know, the the that maybe your house is worth more than the one in the neighborhood, uh, you know, across the street or whatnot. You just got to show up, make sure they know what you did, build that rapport, say, hey, does it look like this is going to come in? Um, and that's really saved us big time. You you have somebody show up to meet the appraiser, and do you have a an, an agenda? Might seem like there's a negative connotation, but when I say agenda, I mean like literally like just like talking points. Do you have certain things that you want to mention? You said that tell them what you did on the property, but are there is there a template or a format that you that somebody has whenever they speak to an appraiser? Um, yeah, we show up with a a packet. And it basically, you know, tells them, hey, it has the, first of all, the offer. We want to make sure they know this is the offer we got. <laughs> this is what we're going for, right? Um, we let them know all the repairs that we've done to the property. And we give them comparables that we think are comparable. A lot of times an appraiser, other people just come up with the CMA. They may, maybe our, our property is top-notch, beautiful looking. And they use the house across the street that maybe had carpet and paint or had very little uh, things done to it. Or maybe they'll just combine all of those, right? So you just want to make sure that, honestly, a lot of times it just kind of makes me nauseous when I hear people say they're going to go get a house appraised, like instead of using my, I'm like, I'm way better than an appraiser, not to sound arrogant, but my values are way better than an appraiser for the most part. So some appraisers just aren't that good and they don't recognize the added value that comes from fixing up a house. But I've sold enough houses to where I know people will pay way more for a fixed up home. Up home. You just need to make sure that you're on the same page with them. They've conveyed that. If they know that you know they're going to want to probably try to work with you so that they don't have any issues. Okay. Um, so if they know that, you know, they don't want to have any issues and you know, hopefully it works out, which it has helped a ton. Kind of the path of least resistance mentality too, especially if you go in from a knowledgeable standpoint. Oh, and we don't go in trying to be bossy or pushy or let, you know, we're better. No, it's more like, Hey, we're here to help you out type thing and let us know if you have any questions. So I actually uh, know somebody that, uh, was just this, I, I I've, what Justin said is a good idea. I've, I've actually never really done that. Um, and sometimes we get stung, but we really haven't had a lot of issues. See, Mike, you're in Texas. That's why you've never been stung very much. Not too much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Doug from Patch of Land. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so just kind of, uh, going off, uh, what everybody has said here. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny that, uh, Justin said, uh, to, you know, uh, show up prepared for an appraiser. Uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing to me how many people don't do that. Uh, and you know, you've put in all this hard work, you've, you know, found the property, you've done your due diligence, you've, you've put in the blood, sweat and tears, you've, uh, prepared the property, all of that, finish the job and, and show up, uh, to, you know, to meet the appraiser with, uh, with comps, with some insight into the market, um, before and after pictures, a, a copy of the, the, the reno budget. It, it's vitally important, uh, and and uh, and this is for me coming from both uh, uh, an underwriter's uh, uh, standpoint and a former appraiser. Um, it, it makes a, a world of difference. I mean, you're not trying to influence the appraiser, but you're you're trying to give him supportive information, uh, you know, in, 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 for the property. Um, and, and even the comps and, uh, you know, most good appraisers, uh, you know, should know the difference, uh, in value of a property that's been, uh, updated or, or renovated, uh, and, and the levels of renovation that have, uh, taken place in the property. Um, personally, I, I like to always use a certified appraiser. I know it's a guy who's been in the business for a long time and he's well-trained and he's seen a lot. And, uh, obviously somebody who's, 
uh, specific to the area. Um, <clears throat> as I, it just from my own background as an appraiser, you know, there were there I, I knew downtown Boston extraordinarily well. Um, you know, a half hour outside of Boston, not so much. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be the best guy when I was uh, appraising at that time. So, um, but you know, that's it's that's part of you know the, the final preparation of the property, um, and then also you know going back to you know having good quality marketing. Uh, again, you've put in all the blood, sweat, and tears. Don't don't cheap out on that. Um, you know, uh, and. Even going back as far as what Mike was talking about, it's, uh, you know, for the over-improving a property, don't get emotional. Um, it's all about the numbers. Um, and, and that's something that's, uh, you know, knowing your market and, and the exit strategy, it's really, it's a, it's a numbers game. Um, and uh, you're running a business and you might have a beautiful house and you might love that piece of granite, but it may not be appropriate uh, for the, the uh, for the market that you're, that you're working in. Um so, you know, it's always about crunching the numbers. I've got one final question, and I'm going to change it up a little bit. And that question is going to be, take us through a, a deal where you, how you found it, how you funded it, what you did to fix it, and what was the result with the flip. So before each of you take us through a deal of yours um, in each of those four stages. And I think that's the best way to to wrap up this this uh, four-part series is just like take us through the whole process. First, a very quick word from our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Could you do more deals if you had more money and didn't have to waste time looking for financing? Are you ready to scale your real estate business and do more deals? Well, let's make that happen. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is ready to fund your next deal. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that has thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Find out more at patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com. All right. Justin, how about you take us through a deal where you, how you found it, how you funded it, what you did to fix it, and what was the result when you flipped it and who bought it? Okay, so this is kind of an interesting question for me because I am like literally so hands-off um, on the houses I buy, you know, like, like I said, we've put 21 houses under contract in the last three weeks and you know, I'll kind of see what's going on from the beginning, but I'll never see those houses again. I'll just hear what happened, how much money we made from them basically. So, um, but I, you know, I can reach back and, <laughs> but let, let me talk about those though. Cause it's different, right? So for me, I'm a big systems guy. When we buy a house, it's like we get it under contract and, my it goes through my assistant first off she can't i don't want anyone sending her anything that's not already under contract we don't have time to waste on that and it has to be have some margin so she'll look at that she'll confirm it's a deal if she has any questions or it's kind of a higher end project she'll send it over to me get it approved or just like talk me through it and just say this is what i'm seeing she's always required to give me an answer not a question okay that's really important as well i talked to you know i talked to mike about this as well um and then she will get it funded for us. She looks at all of our private money lenders. She says, okay, do any of them have projects that are about to be finished? Because we keep their money going around the clock, right? We pay them 10% on their capital, but they never get it back. We want to keep it moving. So we move from house to house. So she'll look at them and say, okay, are there any deals coming up that are about to close that we need to, to use their funding for? If not, we'll go to um, our hard money source. And we use their capital to fund the deal. She lines that up. And then she 
contacts um, our general contractor, whatever general contractor is in that area, based on how many projects they have, how worked she thinks they are. And she'll say, okay, we got, we got this job. Um, go out, send us a bid. The bid is based off of the price list that I talked about. She confirms everything looks good. And we get them rocking and rolling. It's basically like hot potato. We want them to absolutely start day one or day two at the latest from the time we close on that property. Um, it, it's a money game. I mean, if you take twice as long to do everything, twice as long to get started, twice as long to do the rehab, twice as long to close, you are going to basically make half the money in, in, in essence, you know, especially if you're working with JV partners. So it's hot potato. We get things cranking. Um, they come up with their deadline. They do the job. We pay them half up front. We pay them half in the back, assuming it's a basic project. Um, we, you know, use our, our, our materials list as well. It's all pretty streamlined. Um, what else then? And then we just, we list it. We do all the negotiating that, that I talked about, try to get the maximum price, show up to the rehab, uh, do the best marketing we can and, and sell it for a maximum price we can. And I always tell my assistant whenever she calls me asking, okay, if she does call me with the house that we're selling, I'll say, she says, okay, we're making enough money. I said, are we making as much as we can? Is there any way we can make more? Could we counter and still get paid a little more, even though it's okay? And she's learned that because you never know when you're going to have that deal. It's not going to be so great, right? So she's learned not to just go with, okay, we did good on this one, but how can we maximize it? Nasser? Uh, start to finish, uh, the process for me would be um, taking one particular deal, uh, basically, um, uh, the deal came through a website lead. Uh, the seller was extra motivated. I want to say we paid about $50,000 for the deal. We put 25000 and I'm sorry, we put, paid 50000 and we got the deal locked up. What we did at that point was call up the lender. The lender, uh, my lenders are local, and um, these are hard money sources, so they'll walk the property. Uh, just to okay everything. Um, and once he walked the property, he was good with it. And um, we agreed uh, 50000 25000 and and fixing to fix up the property. In this particular case, he did not want any uh, down payment down because the house was uh, worth 140 So he was uh, he felt comfortable uh, with the protection he had. So uh, we got the house done, I want to say in less than a month. It was real easy. Replace floors and paint and uh, carpet cleaning and uh, real basic. And put granite countertops in. And uh, we listed it with a realtor. Now, there is a difference between uh, uh, good realtors and average realtors. We had a very good realtor who went out and took professional photos and uh, got the house listed I did also did an open house, and within I want to say the first three days we had about uh, six or seven offers, and we decided to go with uh, one that was all cash for one hundred forty-five thousand, and we were listed at one fifty. And so, what was the total profit? Total profit on that one that everybody was paid was I want to say like fifty-eight thousand and some change. And when you're talking through the example, it brought up a question in my mind at least, and that is. You didn't have to put down a down payment with the hard money lender. So I imagine that means you didn't have to put any money of your own out of pocket to secure the deal because the hard, or unless there was like a small earnest money deposit. How much would you say somebody starting out flipping needs to have in their bank account in order to fund the, the process? And that's going to vary market by market. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, fifteen thousand dollar cushion, and here and that's getting away probably with uh, no down payment in the situation because um, her money uh, works off withdrawals, and typically the way that the draws work is let's say that there's thirty thousand dollars in work, and if it's thirty thousand dollars in work, your lender uh, your hard money lender might say, well look, I'll do three draws at ten. Basically, what he's saying is you have to spend $10,000 that he's going to reimburse you. Then you spend the second $10,000, he reimburse you. Then you spend the third $10,000, he walks it to make sure it's complete, and then they reimburse you. So I would say like $15,000 to be safe because remember, not only are you, you, you have draws, you also have to make payments. And one thing you never want to do is mess up your lender's money. You don't want to mess up their your lender's money, so you always make sure that they're good. You know, I'll pay my mortgage late before paying the lender late. You know, if it came down to one or the other, so you always want to make sure they're good and they're protected. And typically, if you're in a uh, a market whereas the first that the home buys the home prices are uh, around one fifty one sixty, I would say fifteen thousand should be enough. And Mike, like Justin, I. I, uh, I, I'm not intimately involved in every single deal. So I, I was just thinking of the last, uh, several houses we bought and I can't tell you specifically what the lead sources are. Uh, I can't, I mean, I could look them up and find that out cause we track all that to in extreme detail, but off the top of my head, I, I can't, uh, tell you, but if it's okay, I'll, I want to kind of maybe share another story of, um, of th- over the past month, uh, three of the houses that we've bought, this may be interesting to people, three of the houses that we've bought, uh, two of them were leads from nine months ago that we've originally got and made an offer on their house. And one was from 21 months ago. And um, uh, this is uh, in the last episode, we kind of shared a couple of surprises or things that people may not think about is we do a lot of direct to seller marketing. That's all we do. And we do a lot of it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people will think it, it's a surprise and hopefully a little bit of a lesson here that follow up is absolutely critical in this business, um, irregardless of where the lead comes from, you just have to be a machine at following up with those leads because a lot of people are not motivated. They're motivated, but not motivated enough now, or they haven't come to terms with the, what their situation is, or the situation potentially gets worse, whatever it might be. Um, whatever, whatever way you generate leads, you know, for as much as it costs, as much effort as you put into generating those leads, a lot of people give up way too early. Uh, and when we get a lead, we work it forever until they tell us to stop calling um, or until we can prove in the tax records that they've actually sold the house. So I just thought I'd hopefully it's OK. Take a different angle there to kind of talk about um, uh, a critical thing in this business that I think a lot of people overlook. Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. And Doug? Uh, for me, uh, I guess uh, uh, one of the last flips I did was uh, uh, the lead source. It was a, it was an auction. Uh, that I bought at auction, uh, a uh, condo um, outside of Boston, um, sight unseen. And it, it was a fairly easy flip. I was uh, in and out of it within, uh, I think, about 60 days, uh, maybe just over 60 days. Um, uh, as we, you know, as I was saying in earlier podcasts, you know, talk to everybody, let everybody know what you're doing. And uh, my wife is a master at that. She actually, uh, while we were renovating the condo, she ran into somebody in the in the elevator, and 
asked them if they wanted to buy a condo, and it turns out they did. So they ended up being our buyer. Uh, they were renting in the in the building at the time, and uh, we were easily able to flip it over to them. Um, you know, and it was a uh, it was a pretty it was just an easy deal. It was pretty much a paint and paper kind of uh, rehab. Uh, just really needed cleaning up some new appliances, paint, carpets, some, uh, refinish the hardwood floors, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a little gem. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing your best ever advice on this panel. And this truly has been a conversation today on maximizing the value of the deal that you do, you know, from um, not only selling for the most you can possibly sell for, but then also reducing some of the costs. You know, Nasser and Mike both mentioned getting the taxes reduced and then working with flat fee listing agent. That way you're able to scale that out. And then from a high level with the flipping process where you actually you know, dispose, you sell the property. From what you all talked about, I see in my mind both appraisal and marketing as the two main pillars or categories. And with the appraisal, you know, having a certified appraiser who knows the area and then also knowing that we're human beings. And as human beings, we're influenced by other human beings. So going to the appraisal, being there, uh, and showing the appraiser that you have an offer, here's what the offer is, here's all the stuff we've done to make it to look better and, and to be structurally sound, and here's what we're comparing it to, and this is how we price the property. Uh, that way you're doing you know as much as you can to position your property in the best light, get the most for your money. And then once you have the appraisal proper or where you'd like, hopefully, then it's about really marketing it. Um, and leading up to that point is about marketing it and clearly hire a professional photographer. You're paying money for this property. You've got some profits built into it. Pay 150 bucks or 100 bucks, whatever it is, to get that property. And then take a look at the type of offers that are coming in from an FHA to cash to conventional. And depending on where your property is at and what your goals are, that will dictate you know what type of deal or what type of offer that you want to take. So thank you so much, everyone, for sharing your advice. And this has been a great series for the best ever listeners. You definitely, if you haven't listened to the first three episodes, go back, listen to them in order because this is definitely in sequence. We're walking you through the path and the process step by step. So thanks everyone for participating and we shall talk to you soon. Hey you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever. 